is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Tim Turk, NHL skills coach. In a unique conversation, Tim breaks down his journey in the world of coaching and teaching the art of shooting. Extremely open to talking about his views on the game, the interview taught me a lot and I expect listeners will have the same experience. So with that, I am happy to present Tim Turk, NHL skills coach. Lately, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action, ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Tim Turk, NHL skills coach. Tim, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Stace. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, giving you as much information as possible. One of the things that's important to me is sharing information, uh, no matter what level it's at, no matter what it is. We got to get as much information out there so that people that are in our industry, which is the best one in the world, can decide what to do with they can take it and modify it or they can make it their own you know sometimes when you're given information about um, all kinds of different skills or skill sets I've always said that uh, you're not a good coach unless you're a good thief so I'm here to give as much information as possible at all levels uh, through my experiences and I appreciate you having me on yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. And anytime that a, a guest talks about that drive to share information and, and help people who are looking to move into the industry, it's exciting for me as well. And I'm sure the listeners feel the same way in that sense. So let's just start off before going into some of the hockey specific things, just talking about you personally, uh, give us a little bit about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years, and just a general sense of who you are. Thanks. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I do a lot of interviews and I feel like I've had a lot of questions and a lot of similar ones, but this one here is asking about, you know, the personal side of, of, of myself. And, you know, I come, I come from a, a broken family. And um, one of the things that I found as far as the evolution of sports is concerned, I, back in our day, you know, we, we as youngsters, we played all kinds of sports, you know, so we would, we would throw a football around, just run around and, you know, maybe run into trees, you know, in a, in a park. And then we would hit a baseball play 500 up. We have this thing called 500 up. I don't know if they have it anymore. You know, you just have a ball, you throw, you hit it. And then whoever catches it off one bounce gets a certain amount of points. And if you catch it in the air, you get this amount of points. So, you know, and then, then we had lacrosse, everyone, everyone picked up a lacrosse stick and everyone, we bounced basketballs, we kicked soccer balls. And then obviously, you know, hockey was, was the end all be all, you know, it was it, once we started getting hockey going then our parents were calling us, you know, Hey, it's time for dinner. And then I guess the kid that 
that owned the net in our area. I guess the game stopped because he had to go and he wouldn't leave his net. So he took his net and, and went back in. But I mean, for me as a youngster playing all those sports, I feel like it's, and especially us in Canada, you know, it brings me back to, you know, us Canadians as, as kids, when we grow up, we play all these sports and I feel like a Canadian can walk into a situation where maybe they haven't played a sport as much as they could have when they were a kid, but they're still, they can still adapt to it. Just join any sport at any time and still succeed. And in my upbringing, I focused on, on two particular sports. Uh, one was hockey and, and the other was football. Uh, and let's say American football, if there's any Europeans out there that are listening that or the opportunity to listen to this. And those two sports is what, what drove me, you know, when once, once the snow stopped and it started getting warm and then the football came out for me personally. And then, uh, and then it got cold again and you traded the football in for your, for your wooden hockey stick back then. But, uh, but yeah, growing up through the years uh, in a broken family, I feel like, uh, you know, my mom, who, when we played father son games on the ice was my dad on the ice and, you know, everyone knew the situation I was in and, and uh, they, uh, they welcomed her with open arms and stayed away from her. If they didn't stay away from her, I would have, I would have dropped my mitts and speed bagged them anyways, if they knocked her over. But, but I mean, it's just funny how I've come from that background uh, that many years ago to where I am today. And uh, one of the things I wanted to mention to people out there is, uh, especially in the hockey industry, there's so many negatives before there's positives most of the time, whether you're a player, a coach, in the management, in the front office, uh, no matter what it is, there's so much negative you got to get around to make things positive. And for the people out there that, that want to succeed, um, I can say, get number one, get help to help you to succeed if there's all kinds of issues. And number two, keep going. We talked about passion before we hit the record button. And I feel like I feel like if you have enough passion to and drive to keep going, it's the same as a player. You can you can get hopefully as close to where you want to be to live out your dreams as possible. Exactly, and I think that's a, a great statement to make here to start the interview. And it was evident that sports was a passion of yours early on, and and you really worked to to build it into basically your brand that you have today. So that that first process, maybe getting into the industry, is tough for a lot of people. People don't really know. Um, how to get into it and what path to take for you. Uh, just talk about your start in coaching and kind of what motivated you to initially jump into that area uh, of the game. So when I felt like I was good enough to make, you know, the double A teams and then onward to triple A now, kind of like going back to my, my childhood in a broken family, you know, the, the money was hard to come by. So you had to, you had to do other things to open up eyes to get them to accept you. So one of the things in my evolution as a player was I was rough around the edges. Uh, you know, just uh, the history of the background growing up, and you know, I felt like any team that I would play for, I was the I was the so-called enforcer stage. You know, and um, and because of that, because I was rough around the edges and I could protect people that I was playing with. And I was talking at a young age, you know, way back then, you know, like you body contact was at Adam was at 10 years old, U10, U11. It was just, and it was, it was unbelievable how that evolution took place. So as I got older and I knew what my role was, I wasn't on the ice as much as other players were. So, but I, I felt like I, I could read the game. I could study what players are doing individually to make them successful. And, and, and I thought it was pretty good. So when practice time came, you know, I was the so-called youngster, but older guy rougher on the edges. And, you know, I, I didn't partake in power play, penalty kill. You know, we'd get on a, as a fourth line guy, we'd get on a breakout, you know, but I would be telling players, Hey, you know, get, get your hands apart when you're shooting the puck. Like, you know, a little bit more leverage on that stick, you know, or, or, you know, like move your feet a little bit more and, and try to get full extension. I would never become a skating coach, but, but I could recognize when someone was choppy out there. So I'd make comments, 
you know, and, and because of the background that I had and the type of person I was, they were accepted, you know, like it, it, people would say, okay, you know, Turkey, like, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, see you later, but thanks for the, you know, for the, uh, for the hints on what to do and stuff like that. And we're trying to give people as much information as we can, as we talk about, you know, Ryan. And uh, so as I got into the older years, uh, late junior, um, you know, I was more of a, you know, I would shoot on the goalies while the other guys were doing stuff. And I kind of figured out that uh, there was a time when I realized I had a pretty good shot. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I can shoot this puck pretty hard, but not only could I shoot hard, I could put it where I want, when I want, you know, cause that's all I did was shoot, you know? So I, I leaned towards the, the, the puck skill shooting aspect. And uh, I just felt like I got really, really good at it. And, and that's what my passion ended up being. And, you know, working at goalie schools, shooting on goaltenders and, you know, the goalie coaches are like, wow, like, you know, like way back then there was, goalie coaches and there were some skating coaches and then there was these imported Russian guys that came in from from Russia that would have a skating school open up or skills but no one particularly taught shooting as a technical enhancement and uh, the goalie coaches that I would shoot for would said man you should this is like 35 years ago you should you should teach shooting you know like no one teaches it you know, like it would be a great, you know, so a couple of years went by and I, I started opening up a shooting school and that's, you know, here I am today. Yeah. And, and it's been very successful uh, since you started. And I liked how you talked about, uh, you know, that, that coaching aspect was something that just kind of came naturally early on and, and you're able to talk with your teammates and, and offer suggestions. And um, as you got into shooting and teaching shooting more full time, you obviously developed a process of, of teaching it and, and became more comfortable in that area. Uh, maybe just talk about adding new elements to that, whether it was studying the game, uh, watching the pros do it, and just you know the overall process of building your skill set to the level that you felt was capable of coaching the next generation of, of hockey players. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the key word that I heard there was studying and. Uh... I felt like, you know, like visually, you know, way back then, uh, we had these, we had this ability to record stuff on VHS tapes. I don't know if you ever heard of VHS, these big cameras, you pop a tape in it and then you could, you could record stuff. So, you know, once I, once I got my hands on one of those things, like a secondhand kind of old beaten up camera you know I would take it around and I would video uh, players shooting pucks and I just have it on my shoulder everywhere I went and then I was like maybe I should I'm, I'm a good shooter so maybe I should tape myself and then I could you know I could go back and then I could look at myself and if I needed to you know based on what I'm seeing other people do I can make correctives like correction on different motion patterns or positions of my my hands and I guess what when I started the teaching process after doing all the studying and that studying it never ends it never the studying and observing and having the willingness to improve yourself should never end ever and to this day it, 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 I I continue to have an open mind and I actually look to learn something new every day whether it's in my industry or not and I found that when teaching certain things, whether it was a young beginner that's eight, nine, 10 years old, or a 14 or 15 year old AAA player, or a minor pro, and let's say major pro, an NHLer, the things that they like a lot is they like to, they like to hear catchphrases. They like to hear different names of things so it's easy to remember or or they're willing to, to check out what the positions of a certain hand is. You know, so I gave names for the hands, uh, you know, the top. Are you a righty or a lefty? I'm a lefty. You're a lefty. So your right hand's up top. And uh, so I call that top hand a grip hand. You know, so if I were to work with you and I, you know, one of the things we go through is, 
we go through a whole session just learning about what my terminologies are. You know, obviously I'm doing a evaluation assessment with NHL protocol drills and stuff like that, but I'm trying to get to know everyone who I'm working with, what makes them tick, you know, like why they decided to, you know, put this hand here or put that hand down there. And then I can say to you, hey, hey, Ryan, uh, your grip hand's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit in close to your body. You should move it out a little bit more. You're like, it's my grip hand, it's my top one. You know, then the bottom one, I call the power hand. You know, so the grip hand has a firm grip. It controls your stick. The power hand gives the puck its power because it creates force. It's a pushing motion. One pulls, one pushes. And then you start that process of, you know, giving this player or this athlete things to, to focus on when you're suggesting these different terminologies and it's easy for them to remember. And if you deliver it properly, no matter how old they are, it, it's going to stick. It's going to stick with them or they're going to remember it. So that's, that's one of the things I do is give things catchphrases and terminologies. Yeah. I think that's a, a great way to go about it. And, and obviously over time you've been able to test out the theory and, and seeing that it's worked even with professional all the way down to the minor hockey players. So it's uh, definitely, again, interesting just to hear how you go about doing that. And as you continued and, and learned more, eventually you would make your way into team setting, doing consulting uh, at the different uh, NHL teams and junior teams. Uh, maybe just walk us through a few of those positions, which included time with the Hurricanes and the Toronto Maple Leafs and maybe how you found yourself in those positions. Yeah, well, I'm just going to correct you there. I didn't never work with the Leafs as a consultant on the team. The one thing about working with the Leafs is if you were full time with the Leafs and you're a shooting coach and not and they're not they're not winning or scoring goals, whose fault would it be? It'd be Turkey's fault. So you know, I work with a lot of their players, but the teams, the teams I've got the opportunity to work with uh, over this uh, last 25 years at the NHL level, and I've been doing it way before then um, unofficially I started with Buffalo and then uh, and then again unofficially you know just um, kind of like yourself I wouldn't volunteer uh, but some players I worked with when they were kids were on those teams so I started in Buffalo uh, then let's say unofficially with the Philadelphia Flyers and then what happened was it became official and uh, in, a, in 2004 2005 with the with the Habs, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and I spent a lot of time there, but while I was there, a lot of coaches came through that system uh, in their minor leagues, and then they got jobs in the major leagues. So, you know, one example would be Guy Boucher. He got a job with Tampa uh, when he was working in the American League for the Montreal Canadiens. So he came to me and said, hey, uh, Turkey, I want you to come and work with my guys here in Tampa. And so I went to Montreal and they're like, well, you got to sign these documents so you're not going to share any information or anything like that. And I never would anyway, since it's all individually based. And uh, so I worked with uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and then, um, and then Kirk Muller, who's a real good friend of mine. Um, I met him when I was in Montreal and he went through the system and, you know, climbed the ladder and got a job in, uh, in Carolina. So uh, he's Turkey. I want you to, you know, if you do things well, and you're passionate about it and people recognize that you have a, a set work ethic and the ability to, to turn different switches on and off, especially, and, and this would be, uh, I could say this about the, the front office, you know, front office people in hockey operations, um, they're super serious and they need to be because they're the ones, and this is what the people, in my opinion, the regular fan and the super fan, they don't understand what really drives an NHL organization. And it starts in the office. That's where it starts. And everyone, you've heard this cliche, if everyone's on the same page or they're on the same train, then they're gonna be successful or they're gonna be going in the same direction, so to speak. So I feel like, I feel like it's important to let people know that if you aspire to be any part of any NHL organization, uh, number one, it's it's difficult to get there. It's like becoming a player. So if you lose that passion and drive, then it's going to be difficult to get back onto the path again to reestablish or restore what you've had. So you got to maintain it, maintain that passion. Number one, uh, number two, um, I, I'm a non-NHL. I've never played in the NHL, so 
to anyone in any NHL organization, if you haven't played at the NHL level, you're a non-player. Even if you played the game your whole life, you just didn't make it to the NHL, but you played 600 games in the American League, you're still a non-player. To it, And that's a, a culture that they have. It's a circle. So if you can get into that circle by having that passion, which I felt like I needed to do as much as possible, I needed to have the passion to go there and work and, and have the confidence that I could help someone in the NHL to improve their shooting or the team to improve its shots on goal percentages or a second chance opportunity. So I just kept going at it. So I highly recommend everyone out there just keep driving, you know, cause that, that, that opportunity is going to come and you got to have your eyes open and ready to jump at it. So with me, with me having the opportunity to work with all those NHL organizations, um, then I went to, and it's funny you say, you know, before we started, one of the things you said was, uh, I'm 23 years old and, and I'm not, uh, not going to be with an NHL team soon. And I'm like, hang on. I'm like, time out. Time out, Stace. Have you heard of the Arizona Coyotes? <laughs> you know, like, have you, seen their, have you seen their front office? Well, not, I mean, it's evolved over the past, let's say, three or four years. But, but three years ago, four years ago, I remember uh, I was going into work in their development camp. And I fly in the airport and uh, a good buddy of mine that I met in Carolina through Kirk Muller. Um, he, uh, his name is Johnny McLean and he was assistant coach and he does a lot of broadcasting now and stuff like that. And so he picks me up from the airport with, uh, with uh, Eric Allen or Jake Allen, sorry. And I get in the car and the first thing he looks over me, he says, welcome to daddy daycare. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he goes, he goes, there's talks, the head coach here, Turkey, there's me, you know, and, and uh, we got uh, all our coaches are seasoned veterans, but our front office, they're all 23, 24 years old, you know, so welcome to daddy daycare. He made a joke, but analytically, and, you know, if you look in any, any hockey mind is a good mind whether it's seasoned, whether it's been used a lot or not, there's still, there's still stuff that people can give, you know, if that makes sense, hopefully I answered your question there, but, but there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah, no, it definitely answers it. And, and I love when people go into the different uh, positions that they've been fortunate to go in. And it was evident early on that, um, you know, your work that you did in Montreal spoke for itself and coaches as they move through the game, uh, we're happy to have you work with other teams and, a lot of times people, especially when people are working maybe in an entry level position or, or in junior, I find it's a lot of time it's in junior. Uh, when those co coaches move up, it's only a matter of time before you start making connections uh, as they move along as well. So um, now a great answer to that question. And uh, moving forward with that, you know, through these teams, you've said some of them, you never work directly with the team and just work with these players. And uh, like the front office staff in Arizona, a lot of these players are excelling at a younger age now than than when they uh, did, say, in previous years. And, and you're seeing that dynamic change in terms of the player. Uh, just talk about the opportunity for you to work with some of these players. You don't have to be specific, but uh, just the experience of interacting with them and maybe learning uh, from the, the younger players as they uh, move into the league and are successful. Well, here's a question I get a lot. And, you know, it's... To me, to me, it's a it's it, it's a valid, really good question. You know, because of my history, and all I've ever done, one thing is all I've ever done is is worked in shooting and scoring. You know, technically, you know, like how the stick fits a player's body and so on and so forth. But the one thing, the one thing that I've learned from a lot of people in, in operation scouting. You know, they constantly say, Turkey, you always stick to what you're good at. You don't try and teach other things, which is, which is really important, you know. But the question that I get is, is hey, you know, my, I, I see here you're an NHL level shooting and scoring coach, but, you know, my son is nine years old. Would you, would, do, you do you work with nine-year-olds? And I'm like, well, the reason, one of the reasons I feel in my career that I got to where I am today 
is from working with those younger players. Because those younger players are, uh, you know, here the roots, the roots of the roots of our game. You know, you never know which player is going to be a, an NHL superstar. Everyone's got that opportunity, regardless of that. It's important to understand that that those are the players you need to focus on. So when I when I work, you know, like 20 years ago, I'm working with a nine-year-old. You know, so today that nine-year-old's 29 years old. I'm hoping that I made an impact on that particular athlete or player. And who maybe it's Jason Spezza. You know, like there's so many years have gone by, you know, maybe it's Manny Mahaltra. You know, maybe it's Brendan Gallagher, you know, like players that you meet when they're younger. And if you have an impact on their careers, then they get to elevate through, through onto, it just depends on, on a lot of different aspects, but it's funny because there's a lot of us out there. I want to say at the NHL level, a couple of handfuls of, of skills coaches and like the NHL tag skills coaches. And I feel like there's maybe one other person that I know that's at the NHL level. That's like me and prefers to work in the prospect level. You know, it's great to work in, in with the NHL team, you know, the guys, it's a little, you know, everything's, everything's different there. It's the fine tuning's different. The teaching's different, but at the prospect level, that's, you know, when a, an NHL organization has invested in a player or they have an interest in a player, then I feel it's my job to try and figure out why they've invested in them and change the scouting projection and trajectory of a player. Scouting reports, and you, you've you seen this uh, when you're watching players and, and you look at a player and you can, and this is not a bad thing, but a lot of scouts out there can say, well, that player's not going to be more than a third line winger at the American League hockey level. And then in comes Turkey, and I'm like, hey, time out. Hey, hang on a second. If that third line player that you think is going to stay at the American Hockey League level, if he wants to score more goals and get better at skating and improve his mindset, he's going to maybe be a second line or maybe a first line, or maybe he'll be a fourth line NHL player eventually. So, like, don't try not to pigeonhole or you can make trajectories or you can do, you know, to me, scouting is all about projection, but you can project what these players are going to do. But then again, my job is to prove all the scouts wrong. You know, it's easy to pick the top 30, top 31 now, maybe 32 players. Now it's easy to pick those top 32, but try and try and pick that, that person who, uh, you know, who's a sixth round draft pick that that's now a first line right winger in Montreal. You know, yeah. so it's uh, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, to help out those players. So helping them when they're younger is going to hopefully help them when they get older. And then if you do your job, they'll keep calling you back. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of times when we're talking with scouts, they'll mention that, um, you know, you can scout and project as much as you want. But really, uh, you only get them so far in, until the player development uh, team has to jump in and start working uh, on different areas. And that's where you really see. Uh, you know, a lot of times why a player who's maybe projected lower ultimately ends up passing another prospect just because of that level of development that they go through. Um, and you talked about in, in that answer just about, you know, talking with scouts and other coaches and in the process of development, but also at the pro level. Um, another question, I guess, is, you know, you learn a lot from these players, as you mentioned, but how often do you pick up things from coaches and even people in other areas of hockey operations uh, throughout your time in minor hockey all the way to the professional ranks? Well, I want to say like when, when we're in a regular season, you know, when, when, you know, everything's, everything's come to a standstill here with, uh, with the situation we're in in the world. And, you know, I'm going to make a comment that I hope that everyone out there is staying healthy. It's, it's important to, you know, to do your, due diligence uh, to, you know, to help the world out. But if to answer your question, I, I feel like I could learn something from each individual at any organization, no matter what position they're in almost every day, you know, and, and I'm that person who, who is, like I said uh, earlier, I, I need people like yourself and, and other internal, let's call them internal front office staff at any level, whether it's junior A hockey, you know, junior B hockey, someone has something to offer. 
But if you, if you don't ask, if you don't ask for opinions, if you don't ask for what their visuals are or what their visions are and what their thoughts are, then you're not going to know. So I'm, I'm always like, what do you think of this? Well, what do you think of that particular player here? Like, well, what do you think of this new, you know, this new scouting system, this new Steva program? What do you think of that? And how can it affect, you know, our particular jobs and how can it help me to help others? So I feel like with, with the way the game's evolving and how, you know, if you think about player status versus learning stuff from other, other people in the organization, you know, like you talk about minor pro, talk about East Coast League, you know, like there's a ladder that players need to climb. You talk about the American Hockey League, you talk about the NHL, and everyone knows that there's a, a depth chart at every level. You know, the coast, the East Coast League has four lines and six or seven deep. Well, it depends on what coast team it is, but you know that those numbers change. American Hockey League, four lines, Three sets, four sets of D and an extra maybe, you know, a couple of goalies. NHL, the same. Now they have this thing called taxi squad. So you get drafted in the second, third, fourth, or fifth round. And the one thing I can say that in my experience with the teams I've worked with, Stace, is NHL organizations are relying on the East Coast League level to help players turn into true pros. You know, so if you're getting thrown into the coast, you know, and you feel like you're entitled as a player, then your projection changes because of how you act, you know, and then every year, I mean, look at all the right wingers from the NHL all the way down to the, to the, to the coast, you know, you're talking four or five at each level, excuse me. And then you have a draft and you have another draft and then they draft another right winger. So those, those depth charts are longer than Santa's list. So you have to do something as a, a front office staff, whether you're in operations or scouting or development to help elevate these players, to help them to get to hopefully the reason why they've been selected and starting young is the key. Yeah, I think it's a, another great point. And uh, it is really a, a grind for a lot of these players. You know, every year you're drafting a whole new set of prospects and, uh, it's on ultimately the NHL staff and, and the development staff throughout the the various uh, teams in, that are affiliated to really work with these players and move them towards that ultimate goal of of making an impact at the NHL level. Um, you know, in the background here, I can see Tim Turk hockey and and some of your branding. Let's move into that area, just your own personal brand, uh, and, and talk about the various areas that you now help clients and how it's evolved uh, here over time. Well, thanks. That's a great question. You know when. I guess in the old days, because I was a great shooter and I could, I could teach it, you know, I could do something and I could teach it. That was, that was a great combo. And, uh, you know, I felt like when I was younger, and I'm a non-pro, I never turned pro in hockey, but I could shoot like a pro. So I started, I called my company pro shooters. Like if you want to, you want to learn, want to learn to shoot like a pro, come to pro shooters, you know, and, and Tim Turk's going to teach you how to, how to shoot like a pro. You know, and, and that was like a catchphrase, you know, back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, and then, and then I kind of figured out that, you know, everyone would contact me saying they want Tim Turk. They don't want pro shooter. They want Tim Turk. So my branding switched from pro shooters to Tim Turk hockey. And, and uh, one of the guys that said I should change my brand was Trevor Timmons of the Montreal Canadiens, assistant general manager of the Montreal Canadiens is a good friend of mine. And he's, uh, he's like, hey, they don't want pro shooter. They want Tim Turk, you know, and, and him and a few other people. And there's a, a buddy of mine who's an NHL skating coach out of the Ottawa Valley area. He's good friends with Trevor because that's where they're from. They're good buddies. He said the same thing. He said, you know, you should, might want to think about, you know, naming yourself as the shooting coach. And I'm like, oh, you know, I was kind of scared because everyone knew pro shooters back then. And it's like, well, hang on a second. Pro shooters is Tim Turk, you know. So, so that's why I changed it to uh, to Tim Turk Hockey, and and uh, have you know been blessed to to elevate uh, myself to where I am today. And I feel like I feel like when I sit here and talk to you, when it comes to 
all the people and teams I've, and I've ever worked with, it, it was somewhat, I'm sitting here like talking about myself and it, I feel if I look back, it was an easy climb because I'm here right now, but it's never an easy climb. You know, you got to put the work in, you got to put the work in. That's what I did over all the years. And, and now I feel like there's a lot of people that are calling on my knowledge as a non-player at the NHL level, uh, because I have the ability to recognize things and explain what it is. Just like someone who's going into operations, you know, like if you can recognize it's an analytical department, whether, you know, whether you're going to negotiate contracts you know, there's always something that you can teach somebody and yourself. So that's why we have to have our eyes and ears open. Yeah. And that continual learning uh, plays a part in, in building any kind of brand in the game now. And uh, I find talking with people, you know, the minute you feel like you've, you've made it to the top, uh, that's the minute that you've kind of fallen to the bottom. You always want to keep picking up new things and, and in turn teaching new things to other people as you go along. Um, a big reason for that is because, you know, over the years and, and we see it each and every year at the NHL level, uh, the game changes and, you know, whether you like it or not, it, it continually evolves and there's always new things being brought into it uh, from a player and a operations coach perspective. Uh, through your eyes, how much has the game changed since you got into it? And then as a result, how have you changed your approach? Well, two things come to mind when you talk about evolution, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not that you're not doing your job because the evolution takes place, whether the team is, is going through a negative situation and coaching gets fired and I'm not part of the actual coaching staff, but sometimes what happens is whether you're in the front office and a new person comes in or someone new gets hired or the, you know, the, the thing that I get a lot is, uh, as teams go in different directions. And in operations, you've been doing a great job, but guess what? They just hired a new executive and they have their own people. So, you know, sorry, Ryan, it's not that you're not doing your job, but you know, we're just gonna do it differently. You know, so that evolution takes place where you've, you've, uh, you've lost your job because, uh, because there's someone new has, has someone else in mind or they're connected in a certain circle to somebody with that. But as far as the teaching aspect goes, I don't know if you remember back to 2003, 2004, they changed a lot in the NHL. They changed the rules. So you couldn't obstruct, couldn't interfere, couldn't hook, you know, like no clutching, grabbing, you know, none of that stuff was allowed anymore. And they clamped down on it like, like a lot. And, and what that did was, I'm sure you heard it change the speed of the game. Because no one could do any of that stuff, clutching and grabbing's out, holding. You know, you could grab someone's jersey and and for a three count and let them go, and you're good. You know, when you've slowed that, you can't do that anymore. So what that did in the teaching aspect of things is it speeds things up. So now players need to prepare quicker. They need to think faster. And the puck, in my opinion, the puck always has to be in a prepared position, loaded, or if it's not. It's, you have to have the ability to load it efficiently quickly to do something with it quicker while your feet are moving. So back then we would teach, hey, you know, you could take a slap shot. You know, you could take a, you got time to take, no, you don't have time anymore to take a slap shot. So the slap shot's slowly minimizing from the game uh, because of the speed of the game. And my job is to ensure that when I'm teaching players to shoot, that the puck's in a prepared position more than it is not in a prepared position, whether they're, they're shielding it or they're protecting it. But when they get the ability to break away or to create space, try and get that puck in a position where it can be controlled and shot or passed or protected again when you change direction. So in one of the examples, I just got this thing right here. You can see here's, here's a player's skates right here, right? Players going in that direction and you being a lefty, you're going to control the puck around 11 o'clock in front of your, in front of your left foot. It's going to be at 11 o'clock, kind of like going this way or whatever you do, stick handle it as you're skating down the ice and to shoot it, players got to bring it back to kind of like nine o'clock. They load it up or they take it back or a lot of people say, you're not supposed to take it back, but they take it beside their body to shoot. So they release it from this area here. So they transition the puck when they're pushing it 
and then it'll release somewhere, you know, in front of the toes or just depends on the player and where the puck is. It's different for everybody because players are like fingerprints. So if you could carry the puck over here in this area while you're skating anywhere down the ice and you don't have to load it, you can just shoot it right away. So that's like, that's an evolution of, of having the puck in a certain position and teaching the player how to be able to do that confidently or with, with a sense of accomplishment so it's not too, too difficult or they'll just revert back to comfort. So that's one example of, of how the game's evolved by, by helping them to, to carry the puck in, in a prepared position. Yeah, there's so many different ways that it's evolved, and that's a great example there, and and something that I I, I learned, you know, almost very quickly there from from that explanation. But uh, you know, there, there's so many different things that you can bring into a practice situation, and and just from your answer there, another thing I wanted to move into is uh, you talk about the speed of the game changing, and as a result, having to teach player different things. Uh, you know, implementing a game like situation in practice is something that a lot of coaches will touch on, and uh, you do a lot of one-on-one sessions, so maybe uh, it's a little bit of a different dynamic there. But, um, you know, in a general sense, how do you work to implement game situations in a place where maybe it's only one person working or only a couple players and you can't really get that five-on-five feel? Well, you know, it's a good question because a lot of times I feel like I've, I've suggested to players on so many different occasions and at so many levels that, you know, when you're passionate and you have so much fun and, and, you know, hockey is the game you love. And if you play it, it doesn't matter if you're, doesn't matter what your age is, what your level is, whether you're men's league rec player, whatever, but you, you always visualize, you know, you have a game coming up. You're going to be like, well, I hope I score a goal, you know, or, or I do this or that. So what I do is with the private training, depending on who it is, um, you know, at the NHL level, you know, we'll get video, we'll get video of a player, you know, with the tendencies, the analytical stuff that we talk about, they get into certain situations on this part of the ice. And these are the different threats that we can instill in the player. Obviously we want everything to end in a shot. So if that particular player penetrates or, or gains the blue or gains the offensive zone at a certain place every time, and then they end up going on a certain route angle over top of the dot. So I start setting up um, different individual drills where we can consistently go through repetition patterns and then have them have them decide when to get the puck ready before you know they get to a certain spot, which creates different threat opportunities. Or just look at the actual video or create it myself. If it's a 12-year-old PWA player, then I'll be like, hey, you know what? I'm working with uh, Brendan Gallagher on this situation. I think he could do it too because it's going to happen one time. So here's what he does, and this is what I'd like you to do. And then you have them go around of maybe I, – I rarely set up devices unless it's for technical purposes and cones and stuff because they're not – oh, I'm a good cone. I'm a big cone out there. But, but you know, I get them to go in certain directions because they need to modify and anticipate – and change things on their own as long as we get to a, the end result the same way. And that's what we're trying to get these players to do. So, so I can create any situation or sometimes uh, a parent will say, you know, hey, the, I talked to the coach and my son's a D-man and every time he gets the puck, he's taking too long to shoot from the blue line. So then we'll create a lot of different scenarios of how they can receive the puck, retrieve it, you know, or search out a stray and then pick it up and then, prepare and release so there's a lot of a lot of different it's all customized yeah and customization is the way that the the game of hockey is going and and working on these different skill sets and another question that came up and this one's actually from a listener uh, i thought was an interesting topic to bring in is maybe continuing on that game like situation uh with shooting a lot of times we're seeing players now move into deking as well and integrating the two in a sense um, how do you practice deking maybe on your own without a live goalie? Do you have any ideas on, on, you know, implementing that situation in a practice? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that you can do is uh, you can create uh, when you're talking visually, when you're deking and, and to me, to me, deking with a shot release uh, or deking with a chip release, like, you know, you go forehand to backhand and quickly just chip it in, you know, that's not a backhand shot. But one of the things that I would suggest to players is, is have, 
it, you, you can use this, for example, you can use the clock, for example, you know, you can stick handle the puck in certain directions and certain angles at certain places in your body on your forehand and your backhand, or, or if you want to, you can like, you can stick handle a puck from one o'clock to 11 o'clock and then back again, or you can go from one to 12. So you have like different, different spaces, different gap spaces and different angles to get the puck prepared. But always, one of the things I always suggest is no matter what you do when you're stick handling, number one, you got to try and get your blade to cover the puck. What happened, a lot of players, what they'll do is they'll do this. So here's the puck and here's the blade. And what they'll do is they'll get that blade completely flush, flush and flat on the puck. And when that happens, when you're stick handling, so I have to get my stick over to the other side if I'm going to stick handle. So what happens if my blade gets flush and it's not over the puck? You see how see, keeping it over is what keeps the puck flat. When it gets flush on there, right? And then I go to move it to the other side, I flip the puck over because it's completely in contact with it. Unless I cover the puck for more control, then I can push it first, it stays flat. And then it goes on the back and on the other side. But if it gets completely flat or flush, on there, and then when I move my stick, you can see how it's going to bring the, it's going to start getting the puck to turn over. So I always say activate your wrists, make sure you're covering the puck, and move it into short distances, and try and soften it up. Don't, don't, don't pound it. Don't be whacking the ice really hard because if you're whacking the ice hard, you're, it's too choppy. You'll chop the puck in half or chop it into a square. So you got to do that, but have different, different places to do that when you're deking, and then you'll see it'll come more natural when. When you can visualize where the goalie is. If he's aggressive and on you, then you're going to deep quicker. If he's sitting in the net, then you can prepare quick and fire and hopefully produce a second chance. Definitely. And I'm sure that a lot of people, uh, you know, learn a lot from asking you questions like that. And a lot of people like to learn in that way. And then also sharing ideas and the people at my hockey resource, you know, they think the same way. They like to do a lot of information sharing, talking about different topics. Sometimes it's just about the game. Uh, they're a community on Discord, and they have people from levels all over the world, all the way from professional down to the common minor hockey coach. So for anybody listening who would like to get involved in a community like this, check out My Hockey Resource on Twitter and Instagram. Tim, for you, you're definitely someone that likes to talk with people and do a lot of information sharing. Um, in, in terms of other ways to learn, you know, books, articles, podcasts, what are some of your favorites in that area? that you can suggest to people for referencing and, and looking for new ideas? Well, for me personally, I, I got a couple of, you know, there's a couple of books here. And, and one of the things I'm an individual skills developer and I do specific skills. So I try to specialize in shooting, but that doesn't mean I should learn about, about coaching, you know, cause, cause if I can understand the coaches and how they work, so uh, there's this one called the Hockey uh, Coaching Bible. And uh, this is really informative for any, it doesn't matter what position that you feel like you want to be in in any, or, in any organization or whatever level you want to be at. Uh, then, there's, then there's this book here that, I, that I've uh, probably read a couple of times and I go through um, Play Better Hockey. You know, like this is, it, this has, illust like the illustrations is what we're looking for. You know, different stuff like this where, this is, this is a really good book. If you haven't seen this one before, talks about, you know, body position versus foot position and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, back to the coaching side of things, this is another great book. I mean, I don't want to talk everybody's ears off, but plays and strategies, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this one before, but these books are, are, are really good um, to not just to base the way you coach, but to get some sort of feel and, and what, how other coaches do like, and here's, uh, here's another one called coaching hockey successfully. Uh, and these are all done by, by different authors. I'm going to let, I'm going to let them, let your listeners and yourself, uh, you know, it's better to research them than for me to talk um, and blow smoke up someone's toilet and, you know, based on what they do. But then for me, for me personally, I need to be, I need to be studying these guys here. So I, I, these, these are my coaching Bibles as a shooting coach. I need to know um, what these goalie coaches, these goalie coaches nowadays, uh, they wear lab coats, right? 
that's how serious they are. You know, they're super serious. And, and this is one of the latest ones um, out there. I know this guy really well, him and his, and his dad. And this is Carrie Price's dad, Jerry, and, and I are really good friends. Uh, but this is a really good one for me to, uh, to study what the goalies are doing, what the goalie coaches are, are teaching goalies for me to be able to dissect, you know, what's going on uh, in the latest uh, versions of, of their techniques and their habitual motion patterns and stuff like that. And it's funny, it's funny that, you know, like other than books, obviously there's so many resources that, that coaches have out there, you know, that I, I, the coaches site, you know, I just got notified. There's a huge skills world skills summit coming up on the coaches site. And a lot of, a lot of people from organizations, right from coaching to equipment managing to operations to management teams and scouts and and everything, they like they come and they learn about all this stuff. Um, and uh, you know, lastly, those uh, books that I was showing you, there's a common publisher out there who's who's uh, I'm going to say scouted me and said, hey, you know, like you should put your stuff in a book. So I'm I'm now. I'm just uh, I'm just negotiating back and forth on on content and, and a scope of of what I can get out there for individual skills coaches like or any coach or any person for that matter to learn about shooting and scoring. So so I'm in the process of uh, writing a book as well, and I'm very I'm very excited about it. Um, but uh, I'm not looking forward to the time it's going to take to get the information out there and and uh, and so on. But anyways. There's a there's a quite a few uh, resources that that uh, that everyone can look into. Yeah, a number of great resources that you mentioned, and I'm sure your work uh, when it's completed will definitely be something that we hear a lot on the podcast, and it'll be one that we'll share with our listeners. And uh, you know, personally, I'm excited to read that as well. Uh, one of the things that you might end up talking about in the book, and a lot of times we see this in different works, is talking about people that you've met and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. For you personally, you know, you've had a, a number of stops here in your career and worked with a number of players. Uh, just who are some of the mentors who helped you uh, gain that success and get to where you are today? And what are some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively? Well, that's a great question, Ryan. One of the things I'll start by saying is, and not to, not to toot my own horn or, or to talk about me, and, but, you know, the thing is, I feel with where I am today, I've somewhat pioneered the things that I, that I do, but the only way I could have ever have done that was observing what others are doing, whether it's the player and how they do something, how they choose to do it, or it's the, the coach, the coach at any level, how they, how they deliver messages, what their mission statements are. I've learned so much. And at the NHL level, one of my, one of my mentors, uh, is Paul Lawson. He's uh, him and his son, Lucas Lawson. I guess there was like a master and a grasshopper. And then and at some stage, the grasshopper gets close to the master, you know, it's, and, and uh, Lucas Lawson's starting to, 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 get, uh, to get master status. And Paul has always said, you know, um, and this is the guy I'm talking about who's great friends with Trevor Timmons, and we've all become really close, close, uh, fine group of buddies. Um, He's always said, you know, don't stray away from what your passion is. You know, obviously there's different branches on all the trees and there's things that are affiliated to things you do that, that can be comparable to what you do, but try and try and stay on the path that you are, are most passionate and successful and good at. And people will tell you what that is if you're listening. And Trevor said the same thing one time ironically i ran into him in prince george british columbia which is i don't know if you ever heard of prince george british so if you're in newfoundland you got 20 miles or 40 kilometers before the end of the world out there and prince george is the other side that's 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 where you know another 20 miles and or 40 kilometers and you're you're going off the edge of the world so i was in prince george working with uh with a hockey group out there and um there's a player that that was injured playing playing in a WHL in Brett Connolly. And uh, in his draft year, uh, he only played two games because uh, he got injured at the beginning in camp and he was out for the whole season. So when he came, 
when he came back, all the scouts, all the scouts were in Prince George. And that, that particular weekend, uh, there was two games back to back on a Friday and Saturday night. Well, on the Saturday night, um, it was his last game, his second one. The first game he was, I think, I like four goals or something, you know. So he was like a, a first round projected player. And Trevor met me at the game. He's like, so what the f- are you doing? What am I doing here? What are you doing here? It's like, well, Brett Collins coming back. So all the scouts are here. Everyone's here from all the NHL. And I'm like, so we're sitting together, him and I, just the two of us in this rink. I want to say there was 12 to 1400 fans at this rink, right? And we're sitting there and uh, he looks at me, he goes, I know what you're good at. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I know what you're good at. He says, do you know what I'm good at? I'm like, well, yeah, you're a scout, fine players. He goes, yeah. He says, but he says, it's easy to find the best player on the ice. But I want you to figure out, he's testing me. I want you to figure out who's the best player that's going to be the best in 10 years. Tell me who that guy is. I'm, I'm going, there's no way I can do I can't do that. I've never, I don't watch games to watch for scouting. I watch for individual skills. I'm like, so tell me then, tell me what makes you so good. What makes a scout so good? So he goes, well, check this out. He goes, he points across the rink and there's a clump of guys wearing suits that have like uh, clipboards and all that kind of stuff, or six or seven of them. He says, you see those guys over there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, he goes, that's, that's Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, that back then it was Atlanta. And, you know, there's, there's just like two or three guys from three different teams over there. And then he goes, you see those clump of guys out there? He says, those, those are another two or three different NHL teams. And I'm like, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, whatever. And I, I don't know what he's talking about. And then he goes, look over your right shoulder. You see that guy up there? I look over. He's from Detroit Red Wings. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. You can see that one guy over there? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, that guy's from the Edmonton Oilers. I go, oh, really? He goes, who do I work for, Turkey? I'm like, well, the Habs. He goes, well, you see, the guys that are on their own, they make their own judgment on players. Guys who sit with other guys, they get influenced on and they start comparing notes. You know, so he taught me that if you're going to be good at something, you got to be confident you can do it on your own. And don't be a part, try not to be a part of the, the, the boys club. You know, when, especially at the NHL level, you know, it's okay. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to do, you know, like social activity, but when it comes time to work at the NHL level, you need to trust yourself and, and be on your own and don't let anyone influence you. So that's what I learned from him. And that's why he's a great mentor. He's an unbelievable, and I, I call on him all, he calls on me all the time. What do you think of this player? Send me a text. What do you think of this player? You know, what do you think of this Toffoli guy? I'm like, well, I like him. If you can get him, get him. What do you do? Went and got him. You know, so, so there's all kinds of different influences out there, but my recommendation on my mentoring and, and me trying to help and mentor others to ensure that the word is getting out, the positive word. And remember, I'm individual skills-based, but that doesn't mean I can't influence others. And that's what I try to do all the time. Yeah, I, I think that's, a, a, again, a, another great point to make. And um, kind of ties into some of your own advice there. And just the fact that, you know, you, you got to have these people in your career who teach you new things and, and point you in the right direction. But uh, at the end of the day, like you said, the people that are able to trust their own instincts and, and, and you know, not be influenced by others, uh, you know, albeit in the right situations, I think that's a, a great point to make. And, and people will definitely learn from that statement as they move forward. So Tim, I just want to thank you again, for taking some time today to join me and talk about hockey. I know uh, for listeners, it's a little bit of a different conversation. There's more back and forth in this one, as opposed to a timeline, which I do in in previous episodes, but I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you're doing well and staying safe. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, to everyone out there, you know, if, if it's, if there's anything out there that you ever, need help with or just reach out and then we're there that's why we're here so i appreciate you having me and and uh, all the best to you as well all right all the best to you take care i'd like to thank tim for coming on the podcast and being so open about his ideas and lessons learned in the game 
For anyone in the field of skills coaching, it's people like Tim that are invested in idea sharing that allow us to gain new ideas and bring new techniques to our own sessions. If you would like to get in touch with Tim to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Steve Nightingale, former KHL strength and conditioning coach. Having been what seems like all over the world, Steve has a lot of experience within the game of hockey, but also other sports, making for a fun and overall interesting interview, so listen in to that episode on Wednesday. Once again, thank you to everyone for your support of the podcast and for making it the success that it has been thus far. We've been able to tell a lot of stories of people in the game, and we hope to continue to do so moving forward. As always, stay safe and all the best.